Hey there, sweet peas. Welcome back to Friendless, the only show that tries to teach you how to be a better friend while I lose every friend I have. I'm your host, James Avramako, back once again with a very special episode. I'm reading chapter four of my brand new book, Out of Town. And I have to admit, before we get started, this episode I have been dreading for basically since I started this. So a little context. Writing this kind of book is a really tricky kind of tightrope walk to walk um, because while it's inspired by events in my life, it's not a direct retelling of it. And so I've been getting a lot of really, really kind feedback uh, from listeners asking about, you know, what happened, what is happening. And, and, and it's really hard to navigate um, how to explain where I end and the book begins. And I always try to get people to just sort of like default to like just read it as fiction. But this chapter is where things sort of take a turn. As I talked about in the introduction to the book, um, this was being written as a first draft at the same time where I was uh, asked for my divorce. And that inevitably really spilled into my writing. And the particular chapter that I'm reading today was actually written the same day that I, that it happened. In some ways, it's kind of where the book falls off the rails. And in other ways, it's kind of where the book actually begins. But um, it's very loaded for me. And um, it also talks about family and experiences with family and um, it's just something that I have been really nervous about sharing uh, but I'm doing it anyway because I think um, I'm really proud of the writing and I'm really excited about the book so I'm just you know sitting bravely but um, yeah it's a really difficult uh, balance to navigate between like what's fiction what's real what is you know my personal experience what is fair to share what is um, not and what is gonna make other people feel bad for me talking about them um so i don't really have any of those answers but um i'm gonna read the chapter out anyway and if you have thoughts please feel free to share them with me because i would love to hear them anyway that's it for me so let's dive right into chapter four of out of town titled no offense intended to my dad but my grandpa was my example of a man growing up enjoy My grandpa was born in 1926, the younger of two sons. Their father was a veteran of the First World War, who died of tuberculosis when the boys were still young. Grandpa would always say with a deep tone of regret that he had no memories of his father. It being the Depression, by the time he was able to walk, Grandpa quickly got whatever job he could get. One of his first jobs was hauling ice blocks around the city for people's ice boxes. Without proper refrigeration at the time, folks relied on steadily melting blocks of ice to sit at the bottom of their cooler and keep everything from rotting. And that's where my grandpa came into the picture. He'd ride his one-speed bike across the city just to pick the blocks up, then deliver them one at a time around town. I have a picture of him from around this time. He's so young and skinny, I would swear I was looking at a brother of mine who got stuck in a time machine. His long legs hang over the edges of his bike as he looks off in the distance, his tight buzz cut standing stiffly in the sun. My grandfather was a consummate society man. He played by whatever rules he was given. The family raised pigs and chickens in the back of the house, and he had to attend all his chores before going off to school. The kids called him Shitboy on account of the way he smelled. He once told me a story about when he graduated and went off to university. He decided he was going to leave Shitboy behind and become a new man. 
He spent all summer growing out his beard. First day of classes came around, and a group of boys held him down and shaved half his face. Only half. In protest and defiance to their guffawing and mouth-breathing, he kept his beard like that for a week. Anytime he passed one of the boys on campus, he purposely straightened up and asked if they liked his new style. They all just glowered and sunk their shoulders. Most of them went off to die in the war anyway, so in the long run, what did it matter? He studied hard, believed in the system, told himself he could be anything he wanted to be. Because he grew up poor, he decided to become a social worker. He used to always tell a story about his mother, my great-grandmother. One night when he and his brother were still young, their mother bundled them up and took them to a town hall meeting. She marched her two boys up to the front of the room and asked for one simple thing from the people there. Money. Her family needed money. She didn't need more clothes. She didn't need food. She could provide that. What she needed to take care of her family was money. I don't think my grandpa ever forgot that moment. The house he grew up in was the first house built for miles when the city first started to grow. He has these photos of the view of his house. Nothing in every direction except their little home. Way off in the distance, you can see the schoolhouse that he would walk to in the morning to be abused at by the other children. It eventually was turned into a community space for art classes. One time in high school, I took a pottery class there with my sister and grandma. Grandma wouldn't take any of her rings off, so by the end of the first class, all her jewelry was absolutely caked in clay. She didn't go back for a second class. Grandpa studied hard, believed in the system, and was eventually rewarded with a position as a social worker making house calls for wellness checks. He loved telling the story of when he was chased out of the house by a crazed mother brandishing a butcher's knife. Every time he told the story, the knife grew a few inches until by the time he was telling it when I was an adult, you wouldn't be blamed if you imagined the woman was bearing a fully-edged sword to get him off her property. Times were different then. You could get a job and believe that that was your path. You could save. You could believe in a future. Grandpa believed. But even with that belief, he still took the safe bet. He ended up marrying the woman who would become my grandmother and building a home on the same land that his family home sat on, just beside it. He still lives there now, as I type this. He's never lived in another home, save for the time he went to Vancouver for law school, which I'm coming to. So him and his new blushing bride moved to Vancouver so he could study to be a lawyer, and every morning my grandma would cross the Burrard Street Bridge to go work in a bank. She loved telling that story. They lived in a little apartment somewhere in Kitsilano before it was all bought up and gentrified and made into a little playground for rich mouth-breathers. Grandpa always said he could have bought waterfront property for a song, but he had duties back home. Had to get back to his mother. Had to take care of the family. Had to believe that it was all worth it if he just worked hard and stuck to his commitments. I sometimes feel like university back then was just a wonderland for white men to pretend like they were better than everyone and then escape out into the world to wreak more havoc than was there before. Back then, it wasn't a requisite for judges to have been lawyers beforehand. In fact, it was a rule that was changed right as my grandpa was working his way up the workforce. After serving his time as a social worker and working his way up, a seat on the family court bench opened up and he was nominated for the position. He ended up being the last judge to get a seat at the bench without first having been a lawyer. The system worked for him. He settled into his job, living next to his mother. He worked his way up, had two kids, a son and a daughter. The daughter eventually became my mother. Mom grew up mostly hating her father. He was stressed, absent, a workaholic. If he was around, he was cruel often resorting to beating her for even the slightest infraction. She was pulled aside more than once by teachers asking where this new set of bruises she was sprouting came from. She told all sorts of horror stories about growing up under her father's roof, how 
he'd throw her into doors if she misspoke, punch her if she got bad grades. This, the same man who was presiding over the rulings on countless wellness inquiries for children. In public, he would empty his wallet to strangers at bus stops or at restaurants, but in private, he was a monster. When she grew old enough, my mother moved out at the first chance she got. Didn't speak to her parents for years. As happens, she too eventually got married and had kids. Three this time, a boy, a girl, and then me. Growing up, I knew none of this. By the time I came around, my grandparents had both mellowed out. Grandma volunteered as a docent at the zoo every Monday to pass the time. Grandpa was on the tail end of his career, winding down into retirement. I worshipped my grandparents, but especially my grandpa. When my parents divorced, as I was going into the second grade, I found myself turning to my grandpa for advice and guidance. My father became withdrawn and eventually completely distant, starting a new family with his second wife, and I had no other male role models in my life. I was a bad student, nothing like grandpa. He would tell me stories of how he'd studied so hard and gotten everything we had as a family through sheer gumption, said that I was expected to follow in those same footsteps, but I just couldn't. I felt like a born fuck-up, a head full of dreams and good intentions, but absolutely zero follow-through. When each grandchild was born, my grandfather opened a savings account for us to pay for university when the time came. The gesture was intended to be a gift, a sign of support, but as I grew older, it became more like a threat something I was expected to live up to and accept no matter what I truly wanted for my future. I was always shit at school, despite everyone loving telling me what potential I had. Word of advice, never tell anyone they have potential. If you want to build someone up, tell them what they do well already, not what they might do in the future. I somehow managed to graduate high school and then made it into theater school. The next five years, I was supported entirely by my grandpa's fund. And look, don't get me wrong, I am incredibly grateful. But gratitude for generosity needs to be allowed to live beside the desire not to live under the thumb of a group of people who will never be satisfied with you no matter what you achieve. What's the point of achievement if it will always disappoint? So our relationship soured, eventually crumbling entirely after I moved back into Calgary and lived in the old house next door with my girlfriend and eventual ex-wife. We lived in the little house my grandfather had grown up in and did our best to get by, but it wasn't enough. We fought, we yelled, Everyone resented everyone else. We soon moved out, and I never really spoke to my grandpa again. And that was that, I thought. How would it all end? A series of gradually disappointing moments culminating in a bitter, broken connection. And maybe that's where it should have stayed. But then I decided to drive back into town to see everyone and try to get some closure. Helen had gotten a new job in Vancouver, and who knew when I was going to be back this way to try again. So I drove into town and did my best to think of what I would say. If I knew how the next couple days would actually shake out, I would have just stayed home and not bothered. But I guess those are things you can only really know once you've gone ahead and fucked it all up already. Hindsight and all that, right? Today is November 4th, 2021, and Helen just FaceTimed me, asking for a divorce. I was planning on writing this series with the ending being, and then we worked it all out, but I don't think that's how it's going to be. But I'm still going to write. She doesn't get to take that from me. I wasted enough of my life trying to please her. I'm not going to let myself crumble and stop creating. I had plans to write this book, and fucking hell, I'm going to write it. One way or another, it's going to happen. And hey, I managed to hit my word count today, so that's a victory. Small fucking victories are all we can ask for at this point, I guess.
And that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this brand new chapter of my ongoing book series. Um, I really hope you liked this one because I was just nervous as hell to read it, to record it, to share it. And uh, here it is with you listening to it. So, um, yeah. Anyway, um, I will be back next week with a brand new interview with a fabulous guest that you're going to love. So please be sure to check that out. If you would like more friendless content, please be sure to sign up for the Substack newsletter. You're going to get monthly roundups of book recommendations, movies, music, podcasts, writing prompts, and tips on being a better friend to yourself and all your loved ones around you. The link to sign up for that will be in the show notes, so please be sure to check that out. But listen, it has been a really, really tough week, and so I'm just going to wrap this up here because I am fucking exhausted. So... Thank you so much one more time for listening. I love you so much, and I hope to catch you back here soon. But I'm not going to worry about that now, and neither should you, because that is then, and this is now. So for now, I'll just say I love you one more time, and I wish you well. Fun and safety, sweeties. <laughs>